Hello and welcome to Jetavana Rama Buddhist Monastery. Today we bring you the fourth episode of our new series of Dhamma Talks titled The Philosophy of Happiness. As you'll know, the purpose of these talks is to introduce to you perhaps a side of Buddhism that you may not have seen or realized before. Buddhism is a religion that is practiced all over the world by all sorts of people from all walks of life. And whilst there is a large proportion of people who observe the many practices that come with a religion, the purpose of these talks is to introduce to you the more practical side of Buddhist philosophy. And that is how it relates to one's life, how the Buddha's teaching, that is the Buddhist philosophy, can help transform one's life, particularly as it has done for me. So in these talks, my intention is to share with you my personal journey to where I am today. Just as you, I started my journey as a layperson, living a quite an ordinary life, pursuing the many aims and goals that we have come to accept and take for granted as those which bring to our lives happiness, joy and pleasure. But perhaps unlike you, on my pursuit of these simple pleasures of life, it dawned on me that there was something fundamentally wrong with the approach that I took to satisfy myself, to make myself happy, to achieve a contentment. And so I was quite fortunate on one occasion that was a turning point in my life where I was introduced to the philosophy of the Buddha, that is the philosophy of happiness. And I have been on that path ever since. Every waking day from that day on has been an experience for me as I use what I have learned and I continue to practice to transform my life. So my intention as we continue with these talks and this series is to share with you what I have learned and in the hope that they may help many others just like me, men, women and children all over the world. These are challenging times that we live in. I suppose all times are challenging times because the challenges vary. The fact that there are challenges does not vary, but the challenge varies. So right now we live in the midst of a global pandemic and we are learning how to cope with this. In other times in our lives, there may be climate change, wars, famines and various other challenges that we have to face, both as humanity, a human race, as well as individually as persons. So as we go through life, we need a philosophy that can guide us and that can 
keep us on track to achieving our fundamental goal, the very thing that we are all striving for. As we discussed in a previous talk, there are very many things that we do in life and these things can be numerous. You and I are different in what we do. You may be different from someone else you live with or maybe someone who you work with or your neighbor, your fellow citizen in what you do. However, we are all united. We are all very similar in the purpose behind why we do these things. And as you know, that purpose is happiness. So it's important then to have a philosophy that keeps us on track, that guides us, that assures us that the things we do will most certainly get us to that goal. In the first episode of this series, I asked you to ponder why Buddhism, more so than what is Buddhism. And it is in that talk I asked you to consider why is it that we need to be interested in another device. I like to think of Buddhist philosophy as a device to help us achieve that philosophy. The sad truth is there are so many things that we have done and we continue to do and quite surely we will continue to do into the future in the hope of achieving happiness but may not always get us to that goal. The fact that we are, we are always doing so many different things to each other and we are continuing to do, we continue to do even so many things that are different to what we have done before is evidence that we have, never, we have not quite as yet hit the nail on the head. So it seems like we are feeling about in the dark. And there was a point in my life where I felt enough was enough. I needed direction. I needed a strategy. I needed a way forward. And that is when I came across the philosophy, this philosophy of happiness, which I'm quite pleased to be sharing with you. In the second talk of this series, I assured you that Buddhist philosophy really has nothing to do with letting go. Letting go or the concept of letting go has been widely connected with teachings of the Buddha. But personally, I see that Buddhist philosophy or this philosophy of happiness has really very little to do with letting go. To me, they seem to be worlds apart. Different aims. Because the truth of the matter is, when it is that you need something, when it is that you want something, when you desire something, letting go of it physically brings you a lot of pain. It causes you to suffer. It causes people quite a lot of distress. So then, if it is happiness that we aim for in life, the path to happiness cannot be one that brings us unhappiness. Isn't that true? What do you think? If it is happiness that we seek in life, 
the path to that happiness cannot be something that brings us pain. Because then it defeats the purpose. It's counterintuitive, counterproductive. So the path to happiness also must be one that brings us happiness. This is what I feel about it. So, if letting go of things, material things that we have worked so hard in our lives to acquire, is the means to happiness, but letting go of these things, if they bring us unhappiness, then it seems like the actions that we take are at odds with the aim with which we do them. So that gives us food for thought. It prompts us to reconsider our strategy. In last week's talk, that was the third talk, we discussed conditional happiness. How the happiness that we strive for in our lives are almost always conditional. We discussed a number of examples and I'm, I invited you to consider some of your own examples as our lives will be very different from each other. We are all very different. And that is partly the beauty of this. But despite our differences, the things that we do in our lives, for work, as hobbies, in the name of fun, and just general day-to-day -day things, the things that we do in our lives to be happy seem to bring us happiness, at least most of the time. But however, this happiness seems to be conditional. And what did we say, what did we discuss was conditional happiness? What was the meaning of that? The meaning of that was that for that activity, that effort, that enterprise, that endeavor, to bring us happiness, certain conditions have to be true. Something that we want to do has to be achievable. It has to happen. And for that to happen, well then, a lot of causes have to come together. A lot of conditions have to be true. If they don't turn out to be true, even if one of the conditions don't turn out to be true, then it becomes impossible for us to achieve. And if we are unable to achieve it, then we are unable to achieve happiness from it. From simple things like looking at something for the purpose of pleasure or happiness, tasting something, an item of food, smelling something, feeling something, listening to something. Suppose you could summarize all, of exp all experiences to these five things. Seeing, smelling, tasting, touching and listening. These are our sense doors that enable us to experience the world around us. And through these five sense doors, we experience life, the things that go on around us. And when we hope to achieve happiness through these five sense doors, the happiness that we achieve is always conditional because numerous factors have to line up 
to enable us to achieve that which we believe brings us happiness. So this is the basic premise of what we discussed last week. So today we will continue with that discussion by taking a glimpse into unconditional happiness. If such a thing is really achievable, what does it really mean? Does that, is that simply a fantasy? The concept of unconditional happiness. So that is what we will be discussing today. And, as usual, before we begin, let us pay veneration to the Lord Buddha and we will continue with the talk. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa Unconditional happiness. What is unconditional happiness? It seems obvious it is a happiness that is not dependent on conditions. Sounds quite simple. But is that really achievable? Have we ever experienced unconditional happiness in our lives? And if we did, would we know? Is happiness the default state of mind? Or is happiness something that we have to strive for? Now these are some of the questions that would have come or would come to your mind very soon. Is happiness the default state of mind? What do you think? Or is it that we have to do things to make us happy? Which seems to be what we do commonly. To be happy, we do things, don't we? We do lots of things to be happy. This is what we discussed last week. And if we have to do things to make us happy, or at least to be happy, if we have to do things to make ourselves and keep ourselves happy, then the concept of unconditional happiness cannot be true. Right? If we have to do things to keep us happy, to make us happy and keep us happy, then the concept of unconditional happiness cannot be true. Why? Well, doing things requires conditions to be true. In other words, what we do when we say we do things to make us happy, the doing, the activity is essentially lining up those conditions to achieve happiness. I'll take a very simple example. Let's say something that makes you really happy is to have a party. Most people do that to make themselves happy. They organize a party. Let's say it's a birthday party, for instance. A birthday party has to be organized. 
on a small scale or grand scale. Either way, it has to be organized. It could simply mean inviting a couple of friends over and ordering a takeaway. Maybe getting a birthday cake and maybe having some drinks and just having a good time watching a film, perhaps. Or maybe you book a venue on a grand scale, you organize a concert, you invite all your friends and family and it's a black tie event and it's a, a grand party. So it could be either and everything in between. But either way, it has to be organized. So, why would you do this? Either on a small scale or a grand scale. Why would you organize a party? Very simply, it is for happiness, isn't it? If it made you unhappy, would you organize it nevertheless? Not unless you were forced to. Everyone likes a birthday party. Who doesn't, eh? But the point here is... If you are organizing a birthday party because it makes you happy, then this is a happiness that is gained through the activity of arranging a series of conditions. So think about all the things that have to come in line to be in order for you to be able to gain happiness out of that event. So, for instance... The friends that you invite, they all have to be available. It wouldn't be so much fun having a birthday party all by yourself, would it now? So if the friends that you called over were not able to attend that party, then that wouldn't be so all that fun. So your friends have to be able to join you. And that is one of the conditions. You have to be able to Make available your birthday. So whichever day of the week that might be, whichever day of the, in the calendar that might be, if that day is one on which you will be working, for instance, or you have other commitments, and you don't see any day that is suitable for you to be able to organize a party, then that's not going to be achievable. Just because you want to have a birthday party doesn't mean you can have one. Why is that so? It's because conditions have to be true for you to be able to have that party. Also, you may have to spend some money on a birthday party. It may be that you'll have to order some food. You'll have to buy some things. And so you have to have the money for that. There are some people who just can't afford a party and there are others who just don't like to spend money on a party. Either way, if you want to have a party, then that will require you having some spare cash that you can spend on it. And if it's a separate venue that you want to organize, 
then that venue has to be available. It could be a hotel, it could be some other hall somewhere, or it could be maybe at a friend's place. Either way, this venue has to be available. And again, that means various conditions have to be true. So you see, even something as simple as organizing a birthday party, if you want to have a party and that makes you happy, or because it makes you happy, to achieve that happiness, you need to have numerous conditions come true. So this is conditional happiness. Now, today I'm talking to you about unconditional happiness. Is it possible to be happy without conditions coming true? Meaning, is it possible to be happy without actually doing anything? Making no effort, making no endeavor, without engaging yourself in any enterprise. Is it possible to achieve that sort of happiness? And also, is that a happiness that needs to be achieved, that being the case? Or are we just happy already? These are questions I invite you to con consider. Before I go any further, I want to introduce a word that is very common among us. We know this word very well. But I'm going to use that word in a very specific context. We've discussed the word happiness, happy, and various variants of it thus far. I want to bring in the word pleasure into our conversation. Pleasure and happiness. Are they the same things or are they different? Now, it might be that a good dictionary may suggest that these two things are the same, but the idea that I want to convey to you requires me to use a word that is different to happiness. So there's a concept that I want to introduce to you. And I want you to appreciate that, con that concept. I want you to be able to distinguish that concept as being different to happiness. So there are two separate concepts here, two separate ideas. One is happiness and the other is pleasure. It may be that you have come to know that these two words are, mean the same thing, but for the purpose of these talks, henceforth, I ask you to think of these two words as being two very different things. And what that difference is, I will explain to you. I have to use another word for this, and that is why I prefer to use the word pleasure, because to me it means something very different to happiness. And let's see how you feel about that as well. To put it quite simply, right at the onset, I'm going to suggest that whenever we talk about conditional happiness, let's use the word pleasure. Whenever we talk about unconditional happiness, let's simply use the word happiness. 
Let me reiterate that. Whenever we talk about conditional happiness, so that is what we discussed last week, and in the example of the birthday party as well, that I mentioned just a moment ago, things that we do for happiness, but that but which require us to bring in line various conditions, various factors, various things. And to achieve that happiness, all of these things have to be in line. The more of them that are in order, that are in line, that are true, the more happiness that we achieve out of it. To describe that scenario, I'm going to be using the word pleasure, henceforth. However, when I want to convey to you the concept of a happiness, which we haven't discussed as yet in any great detail, but whenever we want to talk about a happiness that is unconditional, in other words, that does not require any action, it does not require any activity, it's a state of mind in which you're just happy. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to exert yourself. You don't have to go out shopping. You don't have to invite your friends. You don't have to organize a party. You don't have to cook. You don't have to clean. You don't have to wash the dishes. None of these things. I'm talking about unconditional happiness. And rather than use both those words to convey that idea, let's just simply use the word happiness. So, here we have two words that, for the purpose of these talks, I'd like for you to think of them as being two different things. One is happiness and the other is pleasure. Why do I make this distinction? Why is it important that we consider this distinction? For the simple reason that going through life we have almost forgotten that there is such a thing as happiness. And when I say happiness, what do I mean here? Unconditional happiness. Because what we have learned going through life is that all happiness comes from bringing into line, bringing into order numerous and various conditions. So, so much so that we don't seem to know or understand any other happiness than the happiness that is conditioned, also known as pleasure. That seems to be the only kind of happiness that we know. So really, pleasure seems to be the only thing that we know as a means of fulfilling our lives. Isn't that true? Now that we are using the word pleasure to understand to convey the meaning of conditional happiness, think for a moment about your life and tell me, 
Is there a happiness that you enjoy in your life that is not dependent on conditions? In other words, isn't every satisfaction, fulfillment that you seek in life a pleasure? Is it not pleasure that you seek in life? Is ultimately the question. We have become so pleasure-seeking that we have completely ignored the possibility even that happiness might be something that exists. Now let's take this one step at a time. And that's perfectly fine because it may sound like I'm introducing to you to introducing to you a concept that you may not have come across before. Some of you may have, some of you may not have. I'm introducing to you the idea that happiness can exist without conditions. And that is what we refer to as happiness. Whereas the fulfillment or satisfaction that we have sought and we may have achieved in our lives thus far has by and large been pleasures. In other words, things that have or activities that, need, that needed to be done, conditions that needed to be made true before you were able to experience that pleasure. Here's the next step. So that's the first step. The first thing we need to understand is the distinction between pleasure and happiness. So now that we've done that, Here's the next thing that I'd like you to consider. So remember, this is the philosophy of happiness. And some of these concepts may be novel to you. And that is perfectly fine because they were once to me as well. I'm sharing with you my personal journey to achieving happiness. But all of these ideas, all of these concepts, I share with you very freely and I invite you to validate these concepts at your leisure because these will only be true for you to the extent to which you consider these ideas and apply them into your lives. The more you apply them into your lives and the more you test them in the lab of life, I believe my life is a lab for me because it's a fantastic opportunity for me to try out these new things, new ideas, new concepts the extent to which you apply these concepts, you consider these concepts in your life, is the extent to which this philosophy is something that will hold water for you. So that is why I invite you to do that right at the onset. So, pleasure. What is pleasure? Pleasure is an experience. It's a joyful experience. There's no doubt about that. It's a positive experience, there's no doubt about that, but it's an experience that has to be achieved through labor, activity. And the thing is, sometimes, and possibly even most times, that activity, that labor, that endeavor may not necessarily be something that we enjoy doing. Isn't that so? Now let's take the birthday party for instance. It may be that you enjoy having your friends over and the highlight of the birthday party may be the time that you spend with your friends eating food, 
cutting the cake, enjoying that, watching the movie, singing, dancing, and those things. But what about the other things that have to happen before and after? What things before? Well, what about earning? As we discussed, we need some cash, we need some money to spend on the party. What about going shopping? Is that something you truly enjoy doing? I'll park some of these ideas with you for now. Later we will discuss them in more detail. Is shopping something you truly enjoy doing? Some of you may say, of course, I quite enjoy shopping. We'll come back to that. Just for the time being though, I'll ask you to consider this. If you truly enjoy shopping, would you be happy if that was all you had to do all your life? I mean seriously. I mean seriously. Not just for the fun of it, not just as a hobby, but that's all you were allowed to do. Shop. Now, some of you may be shopaholics. Again, I ask you to consider this. If that was all you were allowed to do. So, you'd be allowed to eat, to satiate your hunger, sleep, to get some rest. But the remainder of the time, the only thing you'd be allowed to do would be shop. Going from shop to shop, buying stuff, carrying them and bringing them to some predetermined place and then going around shopping again, 365 days of the year, times by the number of years that you expect to live. So for 20 long years, let's say, every day of every year, every waking hour, Except for when you need to refuel yourself, you're asked to shop, you're ordered, you're demanded to shop, and you can do nothing else. It is not your choice anymore to shop. You have to shop to be alive. Would that be fun anymore? Are you sure? Ask yourself. Even to the shopaholic, to someone who's addicted to shopping even, if you had to do that and nothing else, would that still make you happy? I'll take another simple example. Let's say you really enjoy, take an item of food that you really enjoy. For some of you it may be cake, for some others it may be chocolate, others it may be pizza, rising curry, whatever, a burger, your pick, maybe a beer. Whatever it is that you seek pleasure in. If you were asked, or rather than asked, if you were ordered, it was an, it is, this is an order, you can't override it, you can't deny it. You had no choice, to put it simply. Any choice was taken away from you. To survive, to live. To be allowed to live. Let's imagine, if you stop doing it, then the order is to terminate your life. So, to live, you have to do it. And I mean this seriously. Okay, I know this sounds far-fetched, but I mean this seriously. On a serious note, I want you to consider this. If you had to do 
whatever it is that you do today that brings you pleasure, if you had to do it and you had no choice about it, would it still bring you the same amount of pleasure? Before you answer, I want you to consider this. Because it's easy to say, yes, of course, it is. I'm so addicted to it, nothing makes me happier, so I'll continue doing it every day, all year round. But would you truly? So let's take the example that I just talked about there. Let's say chocolate. Okay, you like chocolate, you enjoy having chocolate, right? What if that was the only food you were allowed to eat? And we guarantee that you're not going to fall ill. So you're going to be, that, that, that chocolate will contain just the right amount of nutrients that your body needs. You don't need anything else, right? Because otherwise you could suggest, well, it's not good to be eating chocolates all year round. Let's say there's, there's chocolate that has all the right nutrients and you don't need anything else. Now you're forced to eat chocolate. But chocolate would normally be your favorite item of food. But now you're forced to eat chocolate. Would it still give you the same amount of pleasure? If that is all you were allowed to eat. Just imagine that for a second. Chocolate for breakfast. Chocolate for lunch. Chocolate for dinner. And the following day is chocolate for breakfast again. Chocolate for lunch again. And it's chocolate for dinner again. What if it's tea time? Well, still chocolate. And if you just wanted to have a snack between lunch and dinner, oh, still chocolate again. How about brunch? Uh, that would still be chocolate. And if your friends came over for your birthday party, well, they could have all other things, but you'd still only be allowed to have chocolate. And what if it was a, you'd, you had a barbecue? Friends gather around. Well, they could have the barbecue, but you'd still only be allowed chocolate. Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. What would then happen? Your favorite item of food can very soon become the most hated item of food. Yes or no? So how is that possible? How can you get fed up of something if that thing, if that food is what makes you happy. This is why I prefer to use the word pleasure rather than happiness. Because you see, happiness is not something that you can ever get fed up of. Because that would be truly disastrous, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, if there were a philosophy of happiness and we go about it and then we somehow achieve that ultimate goal of happiness let's say it was nirvana, a state of nirvana, and we achieve that state of nirvana, and soon enough you get fed up of it. That would be horrendous. After all that effort, perhaps meditation, listening to the talks, and all, the, all those things, what if you got fed up of nirvana? That's why I make this distinction that happiness is one and pleasure is another. The things that we do in life, generally speaking, folks, and the things that we have almost our entire lives have done in the name of happiness really when you look back and when you think back at them when you think back about them does it do they not seem to be things that really were done in the 
aim of or in the pursuit of pleasure rather than happiness? What is the distinction again? Well, pleasure is something that is achieved by bringing in line, bringing in order a series or a multitude of conditions. Whereas happiness, we're talking about something that is unconditional. And pleasure is something that you can get fed up of. You can have enough of it. Meaning, there'll be a point where you go, that's it, I don't want any more of this, any more and I'll be sick of it. Please take it away. How many pizzas can you continue to eat? I'm not saying because you end with a full tummy. Okay, you can stop when you're full, but that is the only thing you are allowed to eat. You're not allowed to eat anything else. So pizza, morning, pizza, afternoon, pizza for dinner. Breakfast, lunch and dinner again, it's pizza. How would that make you feel? Today you may enjoy a pizza. The sound of pizza, just the word, might start to make your mouth water. But is it not possible that I could make pizza your worst nightmare? How? By force feeding you pizza. You aren't allowed to eat anything else other than pizza. Or chocolate. Or beer. Or barbecue. Or anything for that matter. How is it that if something is a source of happiness, how is it that when you're given too much of it, you get fed up of it? If something's a source of happiness, could you ever be fed up of it? Can the two things ever coexist? Something brings me happiness, but I just don't want too much of it. Really? That just doesn't sound right. It's a paradox, isn't it? The two things are mutually exclusive. If something brings you happiness, then you can't say that I don't want too much of it, I just want enough of it. What, happiness? Just you want enough of it? That can't be right. Whereas pleasure, the distinction here is that the things that we do in the name of pleasure, each and every one of them, I urge you to think about this. I want you to think about all sorts of examples between now and maybe next week. I want you to think about all sorts of examples. Because as I said, it is in the application of the things that we discuss, we talk about in these talks. These concepts need to be taken into the lab of life. Where you put it on the scale. Where you experiment with them. In your mental lab. All, this is, all that is required is, to, is for you to think about them. You don't need to do anything else physically. You just need to think about them. But it is through that application these things will be true or false for you. I'm by no way saying that everything that I say has to be true for you. No. Far from that. The very reason I'm asking you to experiment with them, the very reason I'm asking you to consider them and put them on the scales and weigh them up is because I want you to ask yourself, is this the true philosophy of happiness. Not because I say so. I made a promise to you in the very first talk. I'm never going to be saying to you things 
in the words of the Buddha. I'm not going to be saying to you, the Buddha said so, therefore you must believe them. Or it, 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 is, said, it is said in this book, in this chapter, in this verse, in this line, and therefore you must believe them. Oh no, that never worked for me. And that is not the way I have consumed the philosophy of happiness. It is not how I have used this philosophy to transform my life. I always took it to the lab of life. And I want you to do the same. I invite you to do the same. So think about it. The things that we do for pleasure, is it not true that there's always a line that you draw and say, that's it, that's enough for me, I don't want any more of it? Whether that's pizza, chocolate, cake, whatever. Even if there are things that you do, whether it's going fishing, snorkeling, rock climbing, bird watching, singing, dancing, whatever. If that was the only thing that you were allowed to do and nothing else, would you always and forever say that still makes me happy? Or is there going to be a day? Is there going to be, isn't there going to be a time? At some point you're going to say, you know what? I think that's enough. Let's draw a line there. That's enough. I don't want any more of this. It's just going to, it's making me sick. Isn't that true? I'm asking you these questions because I want you to come up with the answers rather than me giving you answers. Because that is when what is true for me becomes true for you. So what is pleasure then again? For the purpose of our discussions, and we will continue these discussions in future talks as well, I want you to start to consider pleasure as being something that is done with the purpose of achieving fulfillment, satisfaction, you could also even say happiness, but it doesn't truly give you the happiness that we think about when we talk about unconditional happiness, but rather it is a fulfillment, it is a satisfaction that you gain through activity but it is something that you can get fed up of. It is something that you will say, enough of that already. No more, please. Thank you very much. I'll just have that. I don't want any more of that. And it is because of that reason. Today, in the name of happiness, within braces you can put now pleasure, in the name of happiness or in the name of pleasure, you seem to be engaged in numerous things. And every day, all sorts of new things, new activities, new endeavors seem to crop up. The advancement in science and technology and various other disciplines that the human race are on a mighty race to develop and advance is so that it can always keep ahead of man's desire to be in a state of happiness. Why? Because happiness is not something that man has ever achieved. Everything that man has done in the name of happiness 
has really been something that they have done and gained pleasure out of rather than happiness. So things that they have always had to turn around and say, that's enough of that. I'm sick of that. Enough of that already. Isn't there anything else? Can we try something else today, please? Just think for a moment about all the different cuisines that you could try. You know, there's if you walk in, if you go into a buffet, right, why do they need to have so many different dishes? Even at a standard restaurant. Take the menu card out, for instance. Right, one of the things that you have to do, some people might find it fun, others might not so much, is to pick what to have. Right, so the waiter brings you the menu card and there are there's a galore of items on there and you know you have to pick what you want to have. Have you ever considered this for instance? People walk into a restaurant, they take the menu card and then they pick what it is that they like to have. Different people pick different things. Why is that? If there is an item of food that makes people happy, then that item of food has to make everybody happy. If happiness is something that is contained within the item, within the food, then it has to make everyone happy. But does it? No, it doesn't. That is why you need different things for different people. Horses for courses, as they say. Everyone's cup of tea is different. Why is that? Because there is no one thing, no one entity, no one taste, smell, sight, sound or sensation that makes everyone happy. And why is that? Isn't that because happiness is not something that is contained in that particular thing. That is why I say it would be wrong of us to even claim that what we seek when we experience those things in our life is happiness because happiness is not the word that we need to be using in that context. Because there is such a thing as unconditional happiness. So therefore, when we consider these situations, it would be much more preferable and would make more sense for us to use something more aligned to the experience that we get when we go after these things. What, I mean, what do I mean by these things? Well, the things that we do in our lives to achieve this sense of fulfillment. There are so many items on a menu card. Even if you go to a pizza shop, there are lots of different varieties. So many different types of drinks. Soft drinks, fizzy drinks. So many types of beverages. Again, everyone's cup of tea is different. Some like it with sugars, others like it without. Some like it with tea, others like it without. Why is that? Because, as you say, everyone's cup of tea is different, but everyone seeks happiness. However, happiness is something that is unconditional. 
in which case it is not happiness that you seek from them. It is pleasure that you seek from them, which is why at some point you're going to have to draw the line and say, you know what, that's enough of that. Isn't there anything else? That's why you don't go into the restaurant every single day and always have the same thing. Now you might say, well, that's not quite true because every time I go into that restaurant, I have the same thing. Aha. Uh -huh. But what if that is all you were allowed to have every single day of your life? In other words, if that is the only thing that you have when you, always, when you go into the restaurant, well, why don't you go to the restaurant every day? Now you might say, well, that's expensive. Okay, I'm not talking about that. You know, let's, let's focus on the, 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 the question here. What if you were actually able to go to the restaurant every day and let's say that the food was free, completely free. You wouldn't have to spend a dollar, not a cent. The food was completely free. And the only thing you were allowed to order was whatever that thing that you claim is your most favorite dish. You're not allowed to touch anything else. How would that make you feel? How long can you survive on beans and toast? Isn't there a day when that will come when you say, that's enough? Isn't there anything else? Can I now try something else, please? I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. See, that is the difference between happiness and pleasure. I want to talk to you more about why that is so. How it is that you get fed up. How it is that the things that bring you pleasure at some point start to become distasteful. How the things that bring you a happiness, a fulfillment, a satisfaction, the things that we call pleasure, the things that we have always come to experience in our life up until now where we are now starting to talk about an unconditional happiness. This conditional happiness or rather pleasure, how it is that it has never made us content. How that happens, I want to talk to you about in more length, in more detail, and that we will continue to do in our future talks. But for the time being, I invite you to start to think about this. So, a quick summary. We talked about unconditional happiness and we talked about conditional happiness today. Throughout our lives, we have experienced happiness. But the truth of the matter is that happiness has always been conditional. In other words, numerous, various, multitude of factors have always had to line up, come in the correct sequence, in the correct order, in the correct fashion for us to be able to experience that happiness. This is in quite contrast with unconditional happiness if such a thing did exist. And I propose to you that an unconditional happiness is achievable. I haven't talked about that in great detail as yet, but I will do in future. But I wanted to show you the distinction between these two things. So, where there is one thing that is unconditional happiness and then there is the other that is conditional happiness, rather than use the same word happiness to talk about these two things, today I propose to you Henceforth, we'll use the word pleasure. And I prove to you, hopefully, through our discussion, that what we experience as pleasure, that these experiences of pleasure that we seek for the purpose of satisfaction and fulfillment, 
don't truly help us achieve that because if we just go into our banks of experience that is life it only takes us a few questions a few instances of reflection before we realize actually none of the things that we have done in the name of happiness but today we know that they were done in the name of pleasure have really given us fulfillment and satisfaction and contentment and that is why to this day we want to be a, we want to try out different things we want to do different things we're looking for new opportunities new experiences new tastes new smells new sights new sounds and the list goes on so when you're always looking for something new looking for something different that is a never ending rat race of a life that life can never be a complete life that life can never be a fulfilled life that life can never be a happy life in next week's talk we'll continue this discussion and between now and then i urge you to apply these concepts into your lab of life and see how much this holds true for you the more you apply the more you test and verify these concepts the more these things will make sense to you so with that i'm going to leave you today and before we do so let us be thankful and grateful to all those who have helped make this opportunity possible and viable this includes all of us at the monastery the monks as well as the anagarikas who are the lay people who have come here in the hope of becoming monks one day so they are in training as well as all the devotees of the monastery those who spend their hard earned money to make these things available the technology that we use to bring you these talks these discussions and the four basic requisites that sustain the monks resident at our monastery as well as all those people who have helped transform our lives our teachers our parents and everyone who's helped us come this far in our lives and to be able to achieve the happiness that we do so today so let us take a moment to do that just now let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem chanting pirit listening to the dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today first and foremost let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the lord buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis upasakas and upasikas who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the buddha and passed it down to the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the tripitaka which is thankfully available to us today to study understand and comprehend the dhamma let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the mahasangha present throughout the world including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin come rain or shine let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all other monks resident at this monastery as well as the anagarikas and anagarikas resident at the monastery let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the buddha be that by transliterating these sermons sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them may to the 
power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane, and may through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and, and, uh, and our acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form, and to whom we are forever grateful. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samudashasane. Let us also transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all who have been our friends and families and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara and who have helped and supported us, assisted us in every way they could. Let us transfer these merits to them. Let us also transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. May all who have lost their lives in the wars be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us also transfer merits to all those who have lost their lives in the natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them. And may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may to the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may to the power of all the merits we have acquired today, you and I and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an arahatun vahanse or an arahat mehenin vahanse in this very life and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all forever.